This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. We're hot. We're fun. We're crying. But we're trying. We've got looks. We've got books. Also, we're sad. Sad Sad girls girls who read. Hello, sad sad girls. Oh my God, we said that at the same time. Jinx, you owe me a soda. Legra, how is your week? Are you sad this week? I am. (laughs) 12 out of 10 rage this week. Question about the rage. You posted on your Instagram like two, three days ago, something about. Oh, I loved that about anger. What made you think of that? Because I really love that quote. I think so. actually some of the work that I've done with clients, I think what tends to happen is like clients fear that they're being abusive if they have feelings. Hmm. More specifically, I think that a lot of people who have been traumatized fear that they're like their abuser if they experience anger. And I've seen that come up in session this week. And then I saw another like this trauma person that I like reposted that. And I just thought it spoke so well. That's so true, because you try so hard to like not be like your abuser that you end up overcompensating and suppressing your own feelings. A hundred percent because you think being angry makes you bad and anger is not the issue. It's how it's dealt with that becomes the issue. So like, and we've talked about this before, but I'm interested. What are some of the things you do to healthfully express your anger? You're like punch people in the face. (laughs) I'm like, I (laughs) grab them by the hair. (laughs) And I throw that bitch across the room. It's like, it's like, what is it? Matilda when she grabs the girl by the braids. (laughs) You lock them in the chokey. I'm about to lock one motherfucker in the chokey. Okay. The sad girls are going to write in. We're concerned that Aaron and Allegra (laughs) are really upset. No. How do I process anger? I think. It's actually really hard for me to process anger. I've got to admit that when I feel so enraged, especially about something like when someone has wronged you and there's not a lot of accountability, I think when you feel like something is unjust, that rage eats away at me. Totally. I also think we both are pretty good at acknowledging when we're wrong and repairing and repenting, as you will. And when other people make a mistake and they're unable to recognize it, it really fucks with me. Yes. Or they recognize it, but it feels like too little too late, you know? Yeah. I think that, unfortunately, there are some things that are just beyond the ability to repair. Or with time, they could be. And with, like, immense effort from the person who made the mistake. That's exactly it. Right. But it's not the job of the person who was wronged to initiate that. Right. And so I feel like I have all this like rage in my system right now that I've got to just, I, I've honestly, I just have to let it be. I just think I have to feel the feeling a mm. rage and anger do feel uncomfortable for me though. Same. I think both of us don't like feeling anger because like we grew up in very angry households. Totally. It, it kind of feels like if I let a little bit out, I'll just like explode and go crazy. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. I Okay, this is what I need. I need to go to one of those places where you, like, shatter the glass with baseball bats. I've been wanting to go so We long. need to go, and we should do an entire episode on it because that is the thing that I think would, like, sometimes it, it's so, it, like, internally in me that I need to let it out somehow in a healthy way. That is so funny. I've been talking about doing that for a while. They give you different objects to just smash, just smithering. Like you get to smash plates. You get to smash fucking glass. Like let's go. That is what I need. Okay. We're going to set an appointment and go, and then we're going to report back on how amazing we feel. But how are you? I'm like kind of just like blah. Like I'm just like, I feel like not very inspired or motivated and like just kind of... Not like horrible, but not great. Just kind of like, you know. Do you feel like the weather has anything to do with it? As the sun shines in, but it's freezing. Really? Oh, the sun's not out here. It is so cold, Erin. I was walking and literally almost died. You almost died, Allegra, from walking? It was so cold. Yeah, I think the weather has something to do with it. I think just life be life and it gets like redundant. Sometimes life does feel redundant. And I think it would feel redundant anywhere, but I don't know why I've been thinking about sometimes like the redundancy of being in New York. Does it feel that way to you or no? Not as much because of the seasons. Like it's always changing. I feel like if I was in LA, I would get so fucking sick of the same weather every day. Did you? A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I like that the seasons change. I think LA was so beyond monotonous and so beyond redundant. I think what feels a little bit redundant to me is because I don't have a car. Well, I have a car in New York, but like there's nowhere to use it. You know, I think it's like, it feels like this, like getting on the subway going, like it kind of feels like the same thing over and over again. Where in LA, I had a little bit more agency. I could get in my car. I could drive to the beach. I could drive to the mountains. I could. I think that having a car, like it felt like I was getting different scenery, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And I feel like a lot of the time I get like my subway ride to and from places, but it's hard to like think about things outside of New York because everything is so there. That's why it's super important for me to like get out of the city every month or two, because otherwise my head starts to no I have to do that I really do I'm like dead set on Mexico you should definitely go I feel like there's not a right time and that is bothering me so much does it have to be for a month can you go two weeks I feel like I do want to do a month because I think it takes a couple days to get acclimated Mm -hmm. you know and then the writing and then like I I feel like I would like to do a month because two weeks would just not be enough why can't you go in april because i it's quite literally in the middle of the month one day it's one conference and one panel that i'm speaking on and you have to do that i mean i don't and i'm kind of considering i might ask if like the thing is i did pay like six hundred dollars which i might just say like something came up and i unfortunately am having to can i please get a refund i think you should definitely try because i feel like your book is like top priority right now. And I feel like April just feels like a good month to do it, you know? Yeah. Because I, I feel like it's a little bit cold. I mean, March yeah. would also be ideal, but I just don't know if I can like pick up and go in nine days. That's so soon. That feels really scary. But it also kind of feels iconic. Yeah. Maybe wait till April because April it's still like kind of cold, but you'll be in like paradise. Right. Right. Paradise. But maybe March is a vibe. 
March would be a vibe too. I could do like March 10th to April 10th and still make the conference, but the place that I want to stay at is not available then. You have to stay at that one place. I really want to. I feel like there's a lot of factors that I've considered and it meets a lot of criteria. It looks so nice. The photo or the whatever I saw looks so gorgeous. Yeah, you should definitely get out. I'm going out of town this weekend and I'm excited. Where are you going? I'm going to Florida. God, I love that you just get away. I really wanted to get away with my friend this weekend to write upstate, but the place we're looking at is $1,000 for two days. No, no. Like, I'm not dropping $1,000. i am sorry. I'll go to fucking Miami for that. Look at Woodstock Way Hotel. Dogs are welcome there. That was one of the coolest places I've stayed upstate. And they have, like, group housing. They have solo house. It's so nice. That's kind of iconic. Anyway, guys. So we are covering Emmy Award-winning journalist Tamron Hall's first book as The Wicked Watch, which I do think was heavily inspired by her. It feels like memoir-esque, but fiction. She infuses a lot of her life into it. And Tamron does a lot of shit. Like, let's talk about her for a second. Well, she's hosted Deadline. Yeah. Crime with Tamron Hall. And she's the host and executive producer of the Emmy Award and Grace Award winning daytime television show, Tamron Hall. She has a production company. And this is baller. It says was the first African-American female co-host of today. Sick. She does a lot of things. Yeah, she's done a shit ton of things. And she puts so much of herself in this book, which I love. I love when people put themselves in their writing. Oh, for sure. It just feels so much more real. Can you read the back bio? Yes. Okay. When crime reporter Jordan Manning leaves her hometown in Texas to take a job at a TV station in Chicago, she's one step closer to her dream, a coveted anchor chair on a national network. Jordan is smart and aggressive with unabashed star power and often the only woman of color in the newsroom. Jordan is that rare breed of journalist who can navigate a crime scene as well as she can a newsroom, often noticing what others tend to miss. Again and again, she's called to cover the murders of Black women, many of them sexually assaulted, most brutalized, and all of them quickly forgotten. All until Macy James, the story that Jordan just can't shake, try as she might, a 15-year-old girl whose body was found in an abandoned lot, Macy has come to represent for Jordan all of the frustration that her job often forces her to repress. Mm. Jordan does everything she can to give the story the coverage it desperately requires and that a missing Black child would so rarely get. There's a serial killer on the loose, Jordan believes, and he's hiding in plain sight. This book is... It's telling a story that needs to be told and is super important. And it centers around like, okay, are you a true crime girly? I forgot. No. I love true crime. And as I like got into it and let's listen to podcasts and shit like that, I realized all the fucking people we're covering are little white girls. This like became very apparent during the Gabby Petito case. Do you remember that case? Yes. When Ethel coined the phenomenon the missing white woman syndrome, and that's an inordinate amount of news space given to victims who are blonde and blue-eyed, an almost invisible mention of women of color. So Jordan Manning's whole mission is to ascribe meaning to the lives of the missing black girls. And 
Have you ever read a book about this before? No, which I think it's so powerful, especially because as you were talking, I was trying to think about the missing persons cases that I heard about growing up and they Mm -hmm. were all white women. Absolutely. Wasn't it? What was her name? Elizabeth something. Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart. She was a big one growing up. Mm -hmm. And then there's also one. This actually just kind of went viral on TikTok because someone was saying that she was the Madeline. Was it Madeline or Madison McCain? Madeline McCain. Who's that? She's a little white toddler who went missing on vacation with her parents. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think all of the major missing persons cases that I heard about growing up and that we hear about now, they are white people, which, of course, everyone is deserving of their story being heard. But that's kind of the whole fucking point is that black people who go missing also should have their stories heard. 100%. And they shouldn't be written off. What we see early on in this book and throughout the book is the sheriffs, the detectives being like, oh, it's a runaway. When every fact from Maisie's life shows otherwise, they show that she was a like very hard worker. She didn't have a boyfriend. She was into like staying home and playing dress like these didn't line up with runaway but the fucking cops just wrote it off as a runaway and i think like this never ever gets talked about and it's happening still and i feel like a lot of people should read this book and get into it yeah and i think that there are so many layers to that too i think that what i loved that jordan was like really working to uncover was i think people questioned macy's mom in the book essentially saying like when was the last time you saw her as if it's like suddenly the black parents fault as if they just don't keep an eye on their Mm -hmm. child as if they aren't parenting well as if things were rough at home i think that that's internalized racism that people have thinking that black people can't parent as well as white people so if a black child goes missing it's the parent they ran away or it's the parents' fault or they were just involved in some activity that they shouldn't have been. And isn't that weird? Because when a white person goes missing, it's like, oh, the boyfriend did it. That's what they always say. The boyfriend did it. But yeah, when yes. it's a black kid, it's they yeah. did it themselves or their parents weren't responsible. And you know what it reminds me of, too? It's like when people bring up and this got brought up during Black Lives Matter, which I hated. People will bring up like black on black crime mm-hmm. and they essentially use that as a way to say like, Black people are dangerous and they're killing their own people. And there's a study, fact-checked, USA Today, September 2020. It says rates of white on white and black on black homicide are similar at around 80% and 90%. Mm. But it's ridiculous. We never talk about white on white crime. And then we also don't talk about like the systemic injustice that black folks face, right? And like how in specific areas they are literally like kicked out and moved so that they can't attend the school districts that white folks do. Like there's, it's actually mm-hmm. systems. And I think a lot of the time people want to like make it about black people being no. incompetent or dangerous or whatever. And it's like, no, the systems at play are literally working against them. It's what the country was built on. Right. That's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly mm-hmm. it, Aaron. And then people try to use this. Well, black people kill black people. You know how many white people kill white people? Every single major school shooter is white. He's a little white boy. Yes. I wonder why. We don't talk about that. That's a really good point, Allegra. Imagine if the if the role was reversed. Imagine if every school shooter was a black man. Yeah. 
that would never stop being talked about because there is such bias. There is so much racism at play. And then I think that media bias is what makes it so that black children, when they go missing, Mm -hmm. nobody gives a shit about them. And mainstream media portrays like, you know, the goody all American girl next door as like this blonde, blue eyed, whatever. But in reality, she's Maisie. She's the girl that takes three buses to school because she wants to go work at a special magnet school. I mean, right. But that's never that's never the police didn't look at that. They're just like, oh, she's black. She ran away. It's it's fucked up, man. It's icky. The the men in this book were gross. And I really think that black women are the most marginalized Mm -hmm. out of anybody. Totally. And I love that Jordan specifically is like fighting for the justice of black women. This podcast is made possible by NoCD. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure and response prevention, otherwise known as ERP therapy, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. To find out more about NoCD, visit NoCD.com to book a free 15-minute call. Macy's body was brutalized. I know. Brutalized. I know. And the police were so hesitant to say that she wasn't a runaway. Not only that, I think it took them three weeks in the book mm-hmm. to at all give a shit. Yeah. Three because whole fewer weeks went resources by. were given to find her. If it was a white girl, they would find her in a day. They were fucking. I mean, do you remember all of the people that went out for Gabby Petito? Dude, like the thousands. swarms of like FBI agents that would never even the have fucking happened. TikToks and like yeah. the fucking thousands of people mm-hmm. looking. Mm-hmm. No one's looking for Maisie. No one. And that would have never happened had that been a black woman. No. And what's interesting and cool is Tamron says in an interview she's said that she was inspired to write this book after she re-examined two stories that had a great impact on her life in the 90s. One was in Texas, one was in Chicago. Both involved 11-year-old girls who was who were murdered. So writing this book was like helped Tamron deal with this real life experience that she had watching these young beautiful girls get murdered. I, when we talked to her, I want to ask her about just how you take care of yourself and the self-care you use. Like in the book, she eats sushi and like gets fucked. But like, I love you. Gets fucked. You need something at like, I don't know how. Right. And it bothers me, too, that people were saying that she was getting too close to the case. But it's like it's fucking easy for you to say as a white man. Yeah. Right. Like you probably don't feel close to this case because you benefit from the systems yeah. that harm black folks. You don't, don't get it. Right. And I think she was constantly faced in the book. Jordan was with people who just like, didn't get it. And, then and she how like, could you yeah. not when you're a black woman in America be impacted by the brutal murder of a black child? She kept saying she saw herself and her cousin. in. that's so sad. Maisie and that like motivated her to move forward. Oh, oh my God. It's so sad. 
You know, um, it was really wild too. I think a plot twist that I suspected something when they were all at the vigil and you know how all of these different groups came out. Mm-hmm. There was something about Louise Robinson that in my, I don't know, I couldn't pinpoint it, mm-hmm. but I felt like Tamron as she was writing was alluding to something odd going on. And then mm-hmm. we come to find out at the end of the book that she had basically, I think like helped her stepson cover it up hide like basically covered it up yeah and it's wild that she was the one initiating all the news coverage and the vigils but that's what happens the people like there's a statistic i'm not gonna say i know what it is but it's like most people who have committed the murder go to the funeral or go to the vigil because they want to like look inconspicuous Wait, that's so wild. Is that true? I I mean, from the murder mysteries I listen to, that happens a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. That is wild. She got caught. I guess you're right, though. It's like she wanted to make it, like, to align with the family. Blend in. I guess you're so right, because then nobody wants to question the person that's actively, like... And then the person who ended up doing it, her stepson, ended up killing himself. Ugh. I know families often have feelings about that. I don't know what my feelings are, but I think sometimes what I hear from families is like, I wish I could have said something to that person. You you know, I think that they almost like, I think instead of that person, like taking their life, I think that some families want that. Like, I want to see that person in court and I want to have a word with them kind of Mm. thing, like for closure, closure, if that makes sense. But then like when they just like when they kill themselves, it's like, there's no I mean, there never is closure for the family, but do you know what I'm trying to say? No, totally. Like, they want them to live it out and sit with it instead of escape. It reminds me of Larry Nasser. I don't know if you've watched any of the court. One of the dads, fucking baller, literally, like, went after Larry in the courtroom. Like, people, like, security had to pull him back. And, like, I fucking would, too, if that were my daughter. Totally. So, Allegra, I was thinking, I know this isn't, like, exactly similar, but this is where my brain goes. So, Tamron worked with like real missing cases real murders and had to take these home from work with her and it seemed like she had a hard time separating oh she did girly was like but like as a therapist like you're hearing people's shit all day every day you're hearing traumatic stuff you're hearing things that probably could trigger you how do you go home and separate from that I literally don't know how to answer that question because I think a lot of people ask me that, especially Uh people who want to be therapists. And I just think I do. I don't like there's no I don't know how to explain it. I think one of the things is that I have been through so much in my own life and I've gone Mm -hmm. through so much that nothing else really compares to. So I unfortunately Mm -hmm. think that some things just don't shock me or like stick with me nothing scares you but that being said like if i think that if i were working with let's say child victims of sexual assault i would probably take that home yeah like or people who specialize in grief Mm -hmm. you know i got an email yesterday from someone looking for a referral for parents who just lost their toddler for like a grief specialist and that i mean how do you not take that home right i don't know i think i and the work that i do am able to not but i i don't know how that i'm not i just i i don't so you don't like do specific things you just kind of make a choice to separate and you separate 
I guess so. Yeah. And there are times, don't get me wrong, where something does like stick with me outside of session, but I usually will process that in my own therapy or in consultation. So you take it to your own therapist and deal with it. Yes. Yeah. A thousand percent. But I don't know. I kind of think it's something that's just a skill that I have. I don't know. Mm. I know some people struggle with that more than other people, but I just don't for whatever reason. Because that happens in like a lot of careers. Like I have a family member that's in an ER doctor, actually Oof. two, and they just see the craziest shit. I'm like, how do you not? They see people die all the time. They're like, you just have to separate or it will like. That's another thing I couldn't do. I could not be, I could not watch kids die all day in cancer units. The pediatric ICU. No, there's no, but then it's interesting because I guess people could say that about me too. You know, like you deal with really painful things with your clients, but the death of children, I don't know. I think that there are some things that feel objectively more difficult. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess like to us, because we've, we are kind of like immune to it. Like, Talking about deep mental health, scary things. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't scare it's me. It's doable. But like they're around death all the time. So, so maybe that's doable for them. Or like veterinarians that have to put dogs down. I'm like, well, actually, Allegra, speaking of, did you know this is a fact? Veterinary suicide oh, yeah, it's like the, is highest. the highest of any career, any career more than ER dog. That's crazy. That's how much people love their fucking animals. That is oh so sad. It's so sad. Because my sister's a vet. I think she said that as well. Wait, what kind of vet is she? She does a lot of specialty surgeries. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. She went to UC Davis, which is like the number one vet school she in the country. She probably could have done Bear's liver shunt surgery. Bear. His liver was like this big when he did it. So, yeah, this book was a very important read. We have a lot more questions. But we want to save them for Tamron. Yeah, because Tamron's coming on the show, which we are very excited about. If y'all have any questions for Tamron, DM us, let us know. I mean, we want to ask her all about her career, all about how she became a writer, her writing process. But if you have any specific ones, let us know, because we'd love to answer your questions, sad girlies. Love you, sad girls. Bye, sad girls. Bye, Sad Girls. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe and follow our show. It's the way that we can get the word out about our Sad Girl podcast and more Sad Girls can find their community. And if you'd like to follow us on other platforms, we're on Instagram at Sad Girls Who Read and TikTok at Sad Girls Good Books. We love you, Sad Girls.